Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Claire Mutimer. And I'm Susie Coulson. Welcome to The Backstory. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for a new Backstory. Before we launch into this week's episode, thanks for all the feedback from David's story last week. Please carry on getting in touch. Tell us what stories you're enjoying, whether there's something you'd like us to cover. Details of how to get in touch are on our website and at the end of this programme. Today we're talking about anorexia. We've been careful about what we've included, but even so, it's worth a tried and tested heads up. Please don't listen if you think this is a trigger for you. Hope is one of five children. It was a big, busy family and not without its fair share of conflict and discord. By the age of 17, she had been suffering from anorexia for four years, a condition she'd done her best to hide. But when her heart nearly stopped, things had to change. Here's Hope's story. So Hope, thank you so much for having me here today. If I ask you to look back over the course of your life and think about the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, and pick a time in your life to tell us about. Um, So the time in my life that I want to tell you about is the day that I got admitted to a mental health hospital. So I was 17 years old, and I remember standing in the entrance to the hospital with a massive suitcase next to me. I was wearing um, this, like, tiny denim skirt and a massive pink um, white stuff jumper. And I remember my mum was stood next to me, and... I started to cry and I begged her to take me home, telling her that I wanted to leave, that I'd start eating again if we went home and that I'd make sure I made a massive effort with all of my therapy sessions. But at that point, it was too late for that to happen. And one of the nurses came and got me and kind of took me into my room, um, which was a room with three other girls in it. So two girls had uh, anorexia and one girl had depression in there and kind of settled in, kind of got all my stuff out and then just sat on the bed just not really knowing what I was going to do, how long I'd be in there for, and not really understanding as well, I think, why I was going into hospital. You said that you were kind of begging your mum, saying that you would make an effort and you would carry on with treatment, so this had been going on for a while. Yeah, so I had uh, anorexia probably since I was about 13, um, but managed to hide it for probably about four years, actually. Tell me about that. Tell me about hiding it. So it started off really slowly, and I'd kind of skip meals here and there, 
Um, I decided to become a vegetarian. I knew that my mum used to cook a lot of meat dishes for my brothers and being a vegetarian meant that I had a reason not to eat dinner with everyone. Okay. And then would do a lot of sports, so kind of upped all my sport. I already did a lot of exercise, but kind of increased all of that and then kind of found different ways to hide it. So kind of shoveling food into my pockets, causing massive family arguments at every single mealtime so that I could get away from the dinner table and then kind of lying at school, pretending that I'd already had something to eat when I hadn't. Okay. And basically just making myself really, really busy so that no one could intervene with what I was doing. And when did your mum or your dad or someone else, who cottoned on to this? So my school actually cottoned on first. So they got in touch with my mum after I went back to school after the summer holidays after my GCSEs. Yeah. And my mum then took me to my GP and then I went to the Child Adolescent Mental Health Services. Mm-hmm. And at that point, my mum knew that something was wrong, but I don't think anyone really understood it. No one really understood anorexia and like definitely no one got the whole mental health side of it. And I used to have appointments every Tuesday. So my mum would pick me up at quarter past two and I'd have this 15 minute gap between registration and going to the hospital and I used to go into the locker room at school and drink loads and loads of water so that my weight would just keep increasing week in week out right and I just got it like down to a T and I knew that that anorexic voice that would reassure me and make everything okay the more I did what she wanted and the more meals I skipped the more exercise I did the better I felt about everything and I just got like this real sense of purpose from listening to it and doing what it wanted so I didn't really understand why anyone wanted to take it away from me. So this is something that I'm really interested in and it's something that we spoke about with Dave Chawner who we we did an episode with recently. That notion that however kind of misguided it is when you look back, there is something positive that you're getting out of this at the time, isn't there? Because otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. So tell me what you were getting out of it. You talk about this this kind of like almost like the voice of anorexia this this other friend almost yeah and it was literally quite like that it was like having this best friend who was always there I remember I used to lie in bed in the evening and I'd listen to my parents arguing all the time downstairs and that anorexic voice would distract me get me thinking about calories and exercise and it meant that I just didn't feel kind of all of that stuff when it kind of first started I had been sexually abused and for me, I really struggled with that and really struggled with all this guilt and emotion that came with that and that anorexic voice and kind of not eating and getting obsessed with calories and food and exercise. It meant that I didn't have to think about all of that stuff that had happened to me and I just lost kind of all of that emotional side of me. And I really liked it like that, actually. I liked not feeling things. It gave you an element of control and yep. it gave you a way of kind of switching off from something else by focusing absolutely on calories and exercise and that side of things yeah exactly okay I'm so sorry Sorry. and were your were your parents arguing about you do you know no I don't think so they had a lot of marital issues okay um and so there was a lot going on yeah yeah when I got really unwell my mum did do her best to try and shield 
everyone from what was going on. So she was shielding it from other people. Was it open at all in the family? Did other family members talk to you about this? Yeah, sometimes. So my older sister did occasionally. um, And we talked, when I went into hospital, we talked quite openly about it. My little sister's eight years younger than me. So she knew I'd gone into hospital. But I don't think at the time she really fully understood what had happened. Um, We have talked about it since. And I do talk quite openly with her about it now. And my younger brother knew and he was trying his best to fix the situation. I remember one time before I went into hospital my mum got Samuel to make me have breakfast so he was supposed to sit with me whilst I had some toast and as soon as he left the room or turned his back to get a glass of water I got the toast and just threw it out the window Mm. and pretended that I'd eaten it Mm. and Samuel knew what had happened but he didn't want to confront me on it and have an argument with me about it. Mm. It was really we did a lot of family therapy before I went into hospital and that was always just kind of us sitting around kind of awkwardly and no one really knowing what to say and what to do about the whole situation. So I think it was just a bit of a mess by that point. Yeah. So you were admitted to hospital. You were 17. You'd already been suffering with this for four years and you really didn't want to be there. And I can imagine actually nothing worse than going into a dorm with, what was it, three other girls yeah. or four other girls and that must have been extremely difficult. So tell me, how long were you in hospital for? So I was in for uh, a year. Wow. So when I went in, I thought it was going to be like in and out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, When did you you kind of twig that you were in there for a long time? Uh, I think when I started to hear how long everyone else had been in for, and I was like, oh my God, they've all been here. You realised this wasn't a three-day stay kind of thing. No. And tell me a little bit about that sort of day-to-day of being in hospital. So every day was pretty much exactly the same, kind of Monday to Friday. So we'd get up around seven and then everyone who had an eating disorder would get weighed. And that was always really awkward because you kind of stand, we all queued up outside this medical room to get weighed, go in, kind of take our pajamas off and just be in our underwear, get weighed and then go out. And you'd always be able to tell by the, from the face of the person who'd just been weighed, whether their weight had gone up or down. And so it was always kind of quite a tense part of the day. Um, and I, I, this might sound like a really silly question, but obviously they wanted your weight to go up. Yep. And I'm guessing, and you didn't want your weight no. to go up. Okay. So that was a battle in itself, I think. Yeah. So we had, um, we had like set meal times throughout every day. So kind of X amount of calories for breakfast and snacks, three o'clock, four o'clock and eight o'clock. And then lunch at, 12 30 and then dinner at six and how did they make sure that you ate so when we first went in I had someone who was with me all the time at meal times kind of like prompting you to eat and if you didn't complete a meal you had to go to bed until the next meal and just lie in bed on bed rest and then if you didn't complete like three meals in a row then you'd get moved onto the special table which no one ever wanted to sit on because it was just like you sit in silence with probably the strictest nurse there was. And I remember there was one girl who was in hospital with me who every time we had a yogurt, she would tip the yogurt on um, the lid, so turn it upside down, which would mean that then the loads of the yogurt would get stuck on the lid. And it was like little things like that that just used to like grate on you because yeah. you'd feel like they're getting away with something. They're better at having this anorexic kind of voice and they're doing what it wants and I'm not able to do that. For me, I had like a realisation when I was in hospital that if I didn't start to eat and didn't start to try to get well, 
then I was never ever going to go out of hospital. And because I was going to turn 18, it was kind of like, if I don't sort this here, You'd I'm going to have this transition. you adult services. Yeah. yeah, and I knew that I didn't want to get stuck in adult services. Mm. Was it just that realisation that you wouldn't be leaving hospital unless you started to get better? Or was there some other kind of prompt? One of the um, therapists came in and she got me to draw how I imagined myself on this massive piece of brown paper and then she got me to lie on that same bit of paper and she traced around the outside of me. And then she got me to stand up and look down at the paper and the comparison between the image that I'd drawn and the tracing of my body was just ridiculous. I remember thinking she'd lied to me and she'd somehow tricked me. But then she got me to stand in front of the mirror and to like start to feel kind of how my bones were sticking out of my body and to try to make me realise that actually what I see in the mirror isn't the reality of where I'm at with things. Mm. And it really helped actually because it meant that I, at that point, I remember on that Friday night, I thought there isn't something right with my brain. I found it so difficult to talk about how I was feeling. It meant that as soon as my weight started going up, I just thought everyone would think that I was fixed and that everything was fine. But the reality was that actually I was probably struggling more. Is it hard to have that recovery when you're surrounded by other young women with anorexia? Are women, are the young women sort of comparing themselves to each other? Yeah, it's a that is very yeah it's difficult it's so competitive and the thing with anorexia is it's such a competitive illness like on all of the kind of pro-anorexic websites and on twitter and stuff people are constantly like showing off kind of the circumference of like their thighs or their wrists um and kind of showing how bony they are and so you as soon as someone comes in you judge them you compare yourself to them and it's silly because you get so obsessed with kind of what everyone else is doing and how much everyone else is eating so I did um a lot of one-to-one therapy so I had a psychologist that I saw every couple of days probably and we talked kind of about like the root causes of my illness we talked a lot about my family life um and kind of everything and we talked I did talk very openly with her about everything actually there was occasions when my parents would come in Mm. and we'd do kind of sessions as a three but Mm. they didn't really work if I'm honest most of the sessions turned into my parents arguing I've heard some dreadful things and I don't know how kind of accurate these are but I've heard people being told that they don't qualify for a service because their weight isn't low enough. I mean, what what can you tell me about that? Um, So actually, I experienced this um, in 2016. Um, So I relapsed. um, And is relapse quite common? I mean, it um, it is in all sorts of other areas, like, like alcohol and, and, you know, it's it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sometimes it can be quite a normal part of recovery, can't it? Yeah, I think it probably is. I yeah. think you kind of function for so long and then something happens and yes. you realise you're not actually as far through your recovery as you thought. You kind of think that you're at a stage where you're, you're done and yeah. so therefore you can do certain things and actually it can lead you back down. Yeah, no, definitely. Part. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I relapsed in 2016. Um, I knew I didn't want to go into adults, um, but I also didn't know what I was going to do to manage and kind of stay out of services. Yeah. So after four months of relapsing, um, I tried to get support. So I went to my GP and then got referred to the Mental Health Trust mm. and I had an appointment, kind of gave my whole back history but I didn't qualify for services because my BMI was too high. I knew that I could either lose all of that weight again and go into adult services, or I could try and get better kind of on my own and with my own support network. And I decided to try and do it on my own. The amount of people that have kind of reached out to me to share their stories, telling me that they've had, they've got bulimia, but they're too overweight to be in out, no, in inpatients, but too underweight to be in outpatients. So there's just no no support. So actually, I mean, it seems incredible with the, with the history that you had, that you'd had a year in hospital. It seems incredible that you didn't qualify for services just based on the weight that, you were it seems incredible that they wouldn't look at the behaviors that you're exhibiting and actually you know and and from I remember Dave saying I think that um a lot of people who have an eating disorder are not a massively unhealthy you know they, they might not be underweight they might not be hugely overweight but they have an eating disorder yeah and so rather than looking at the weight it seems to make more sense to look at the behaviors that that yeah no I completely agree it's a complete mindset thing like people look physically healthy but could be having that anorexic voice constantly Mm. in their head and that's what I had and it Mm. was and I I just don't yeah it baffles me that we don't try and support people because the sooner we support people and prevent them getting worse then actually it's going to be so much easier for that individual to recover and have more Mm. long-term recovery. I think when I first started to recover, I didn't feel in control at all. I felt like my weight just shot up and I was being told to keep eating. Um, I think when I left hospital, I had more control over it because I knew that I wanted to stay well at that point. And so it was more about kind of controlling the amount of calories that were going into my body to make sure that I had enough. Mm. Do you think that people recover and fully put it behind them I think some people do and I've met people that have done um who like never think about it it was just something that happened years and years ago right I think for me I thought it could get to that point but I think since I relapsed it's now something that I manage because I constantly not constantly but I do quite often kind of beat myself up about the way I look and I don't feel that comfortable wearing a bikini and and I think this is the difficulty for a lot of people because hearing you say that my natural reaction is to kind of turn around and say, you look amazing, you know, you look great. But that doesn't help at all, yeah. does it? 
And I think sometimes you get so fixated that you look really awful that if someone tells you that and you just like argue back. Right. And you get really cross and... What does it make you feel if, you know, if I was to turn around and say, you look amazing. Sometimes I just say thanks and kind of sugar off. But if I'm in a really bad mindset, I just get really annoyed. And I think someone's just saying it to be polite or for the sake of saying it. When you were kind of either in hospital or... Or afterwards, was there anyone that really stood out? Probably my mum when I, I guess, but after, after I relapsed my mum, I think. So she came to my hospital appointment with me when I went to originally. And then she helped me kind of make all the decisions around the antidepressants. And she's kind of, kind of, I guess, just kept me going through that time. Kind of the good thing about that is when I text her and say I'm having a really bad day, she doesn't message me back being like, right, what's caused it? What's this? What's the matter? Why do you think that is? Mm. And it's just like, she just kind of accepts it. And mm. she's like, she always says, gird your loins, which is kind of a strange <laughs> expression. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, mum. <laughs> but she like would just send like little things like that. And it actually just is quite nice because yeah. you know that she's listened, yeah. but she's not going to suddenly start trying to fix everything and interfere with it. It's girding you. It's kind of like batten down the hatches, like get yourself ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that was an amazing story. Um, so, Susie, we have covered anorexia before, but it yeah. was really worth revisiting, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, we spoke to Dave a while ago about his anorexia, but I think it's also really important to hear other people's perspectives. And, you know, yeah. on the surface, both Hope and Dave were suffering with anorexia, but they both got their own take on it. Yeah, and it was so interesting to hear about, you know, Hope's experience of inpatient treatment. Yeah, I kind of wanted to hear about the nuts and bolts of what actually happens day to day because I don't think it's something that we hear very much about and I also really wanted to hear what helped and actually having just listened back to the interview what I really like about Hope is that I just kind of felt that I could ask her all of those questions you know those questions that maybe you don't normally get to ask. Yeah she was very open wasn't she? Yeah definitely. definitely. Um, I was quite struck by the family relationships the younger brother who had to monitor her eating the whole family feels kind of manipulated by anorexia doesn't it? Yeah I think perhaps they did you know it must have been very hard on her parents you know that sense of helplessness her relationship with her mum really got quite bad and and hope moved in with her dad for a while oh so her parents are split up yeah they had yeah so hope went to live with her dad for a while uh but then you know things got a lot better with her mum and and as you could hear they get on very well now and her mum has been really useful and really helpful in her recovery. Also she's really open about her anorexia, Uh, she's done a lot of public awareness raising so you know for a family who previously didn't really talk about it they've just I suppose had to get used to it and you know it's a lot more open now. Yeah I like it when um you know, families are kind of forced into it probably yeah. because she's just like, on, yeah, I'm going yeah, to talk about it. With, yeah, absolutely. It, and like, it changes the whole... Reminds me of the transgender kind of um, interview we did. And it's just like sometimes somebody in a family makes everyone talk about something. They which do. Is quite cool. Is that you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Hope is currently cycling from Land's End to John O'Groats to raise money for the Sure Mind Foundation. I'd have thought that exercise would have become quite compulsive for some people with eating disorders yeah yeah that was something that I did ask about and I think that 
for some people it definitely can and it can actually become part of the illness but for hope I think it's quite positive and she said that she'd been able to use exercise as part of her recovery you know kind of encourages her to nourish her body because basically if you don't put the fuel in then you don't have the strength to be able to do the exercise that you want to do it's still a struggle she she told me that much as she'd rather be able to do all of the exercise it's still quite difficult to see your body becoming more muscular and realizing that you're not as skinny as you were that's her way of describing it by the way I think I kind of learned enough to know that any comment on how someone's looking when they're struggling with this sort of stuff is just not helpful at all. Yeah, sure. So what is it with our contributors at the moment? You, they seem to come on the backstory and then they're compelled to go and cycle bloody miles, basically, <laughs> aren't they? I know, yeah. Tim McKenna is yes, currently cycling Tim. from the east coast of America. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way. He's got some amazing photos he's it posting. Looks stunning, it looks stunning, doesn't so it? so cool, doesn't Almost it? enough to make me get on oh my, my bike. God, but... <laughs> but yeah, clearly cycling should be on prescription, Definitely, I, I think it should, yeah. If you want to find out more about Hope, then you can read her book, which is called Stand Tall Little Girl. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. And we've also included a link to her fundraising page, just in case you'd like to sponsor her. I'm sure that any amount would be hugely appreciated. Okay, moving on. And to coin a phrase from Hope's mum, gird your loins as it's time for our weekly podcast recommendation. Claire, I think it's one from you this week. Okay, so I've spent most of the weekend listening to West Cork. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but I was sort of starting it and I I was finding it quite hard to get into. Actually, the first few episodes are kind of like just a bit sort of, you have to know that there's a kind of good reputation around this podcast. You're initially thinking, "Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, this is what I thought anyway. But then kind of get to sort of episode three and four and then you're like, whoa, yeah. And, you know, before I knew it, I was on episode, I think, 14. So quick recap just for anyone that isn't familiar familiar with West Cork. Yeah, it's a true crime. That's the genre, but it's a very thoughtful true crime, I would say. Beautifully made. It's made okay. by Audible. A lot of money goes in there and there's quite a lot of people involved in the making of it. it okay. Made me think like, me and Susie, there's yeah. just the two of us. And then like, there's like 14 people at the end of each of these episodes. It's like, yeah. what the hell do they all do? But anyway, <laughs> um, they're like, one of those playing the triangle, like, they name them. Like, no. But um, yeah, oh, it was really good. We dream. I know, we really can. Um, true crime's kind of up there at the moment isn't it because the new series of the new series of has been Whoop. yeah has yeah been just released. downloaded that so it's really sparked a debate yeah about the whole true crime genre yeah well I am a bit of a fan as I've said before I do like a bit of a bit of true crime but it's I mean it's massive in podcasting isn't it, it? Is. and it's I, funny it didn't happen in radio really like there was you know from my memory Never that much murder on the radio, apart from in the news. But okay. in this, it's with podcasting, it's just absolutely exploded. And, yeah. and it actually has exploded on TV, I suppose, as well. Netflix and that kind of thing just goes crazy for it. For me, it's the classy true crimes are really worth listening to. And there are, you know, Serial, S-Town, West Cork. They've been beautifully made. And I think that makes a huge difference to it. My feeling was that it, it's a massive genre, but there's a huge amount of variation within it. There's a massive some of it, of variation. Some yeah. of it is really salacious and actually feels you know there are a few podcasts that I've that I've started listening to and just switched off because it feels quite uncomfortable yeah I've as though the they're you know just dragging out the the gory details yeah and you've got to remember that these people have got families and you just think, oh my god really seriously you think this is okay and yeah. it's not I would say with West Cork there's a kind of question and answer thing at the end and 
you know, I don't want to give away anything, but the people who involved in it, both sides were both happy with the podcast, apparently. And I, I can okay. believe that because it was very well balanced. That is perhaps telling by who makes it kind of thing. And I think there's, a, you know, there's some really kind of impressive, you know, investigative reporters who've moved into podcasting. Yes. Sarah Koenig, who does Serial, like, yes. for example, she worked for um, the New Yorker and stuff like that beforehand, I think, or the New York Times, certainly. So she's... She, you know, she's kind of honed her skills okay. in that way. There has to be a point to telling that story. We have covered crimes in our podcasts, haven't we? You know, yeah. our very first episode was about a local crime. And I felt that there was a really good reason for telling that story, a really important reason. And I think yeah. that with some of the ones I've listened to, they're making important points and that feels Yeah, I think it's that okay. sort of second layer, isn't it? And, you know, those ones like West Cork and... Um, serial and stuff they had that second layer to a certain extent Mm. you know which kind of it's not just about the crime it's about it's talking about something else it would be great to hear what everyone else thinks about this because maybe there's some series that we've missed out on yeah (laughs) Um, no it's always good to get a podcast recommendation we love a recommendation and also just what your thoughts are like whether true crime is you know salacious or just fascinating so Susie tell us about um, who we've got next week on the, the backstory. Is I've... there a reason why you're asking me to to say about well, this? You're... You can't say the words, can you? No. Okay. <laughs> next week we're going to be hearing from Cara who suffered with a condition called trichotillomania. So trichotillomania trichotillomania yep. is compulsive hair pulling. And we'll be hearing all about Cara's condition next week. If you've got a backstory that you would like to share, please get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at The Backstory Pod on Twitter. Search for The Backstory with Claire and Susie in your podcast directory. For sponsorship opportunities, or if you'd like to take part in a show, please contact hello at thebackstorypodcast.co.uk. The Backstory Podcast is produced by Tin Shared Productions. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.